Our sermon this morning was written by uh, Pastor Drew Nauman. To the eternal King, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Luke 2, verses 21 to 24. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. In the name of Jesus, who has become our perfect righteousness through his obedience to the Father, dear fellow redeemed. What are the most important parts of Scripture? It's a tough question that I'd like you to think about for a moment. If someone who was not a Christian came up to you and said, I'd like to learn more about what you believe, where should I start reading in my Bible? What would you say? You might recommend that they start at the beginning, in in the creation account in Genesis 1, or perhaps the fall of sin in Genesis 3. Psalm 23, the shepherd's psalm, would seem like a good pick. Maybe you'd point them to John chapter 3 or Romans chapter 8. It's Christmas time, so we could all agree that Luke chapter 2 would be a good recommendation as well. But if you were recommending Luke chapter 2, I'd predict that most of you would tell them to just stop around verse 20. That's the end of the important stuff. The birth, the shepherds, the angels, the wise men, right? Well, Proverbs 30 verse 5 says, Every word of God is pure. 1 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is pure given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The circumcision of Jesus is recorded in our sermon text for today is one of those sections that we tend to gloss over as unimportant or meaningless detail. But actually, it was deeply important that this event take place in the life of Christ for several reasons which we'll consider today. As we contemplate our theme, Christ's circumcision was crucial. It placed him under the law, it set him apart from the Lord, and it shed his blood for the lost. May the Spirit lead us to a greater understanding and appreciation of what he caused to be recorded for our learning today. Our epistle reading gives us some insight to the first reason reason why the circumcision of Christ was crucial. As we read earlier, he was born under the law to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. If someone uses the term law, we usually think of the Ten Commandments, otherwise known as the moral law. This is the law that applies to us today, Though thou shalt have no other gods, thou shalt not kill, 
thou shalt not covet. But when Jesus was born, the ceremonial law of Israel was still very much in effect. Not only was Israel expected to be faithful to the moral law, there was also the other laws which were given to the old people uh, in the Old Testament, Israel. Among those ceremonial laws was the law of circumcision, commanded by God to Abraham in Genesis 17, when he said, This is my covenant, which you, are, you shall keep, between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. And the uncircumcised male child, who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So there are two parts of Christ's obedience that are very important for us to remember. Jesus' active obedience and his passive obedience. His active obedience is what, we did to, what he did to keep God's law for us. His passive obedience is what he endured because of our transgressions. Jesus being circumcised was part of his active obedience. It shows that he was placed under the law. When Mary and Joseph carried out Jesus' circumcision, they were locking him into the covenant of, with God, his father. God's covenant with Abraham and Israel was made upon several promises. To multiply his descendants, to give them the land of Canaan, to bless all families of the earth through one descendant in particular. What was required on Israel's part of the what was required on Israel's part of the covenant? It's recorded for us in Leviticus 19, verse 2. You shall be holy, for I the Lord your God am holy. So that's a tall order, isn't it? There are many who believe, I can do that. I can be holy and righteous. There were those among Israel, the scribes and the Pharisees, who believed this. And there were many people that today that also believe it. Others believe that God couldn't possibly expect perfection. He knows that you're human, so just try to do your best. But God doesn't demand your best effort. He demands that you be holy the same way he is holy. So Jesus was born under the law to be, in order to be our brother and our substitute. He was set apart for this purpose, as the rite of circumcision reveals. In Numbers 3, verse 13, the Lord said, All the firstborn are mine. On the day that I struck all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, I sanctified to myself all the firstborn of Israel, both man and beast. They shall be mine. I am the Lord. The firstborn of every household were to be a reminder to the family and to the nation of the Lord in his mercy that one who, the one who is passed over and is spared. The children of Israel during the 10th plague, when the angel of the Lord killed all the firstborn of Egypt, as judgment for Pharaoh's unwillingness to release Israel. The firstborn son, Jesus, the firstborn of Mary, and the only begotten of the Father, was set apart for a very special purpose. He was set aside in order to be spotless, 
a sacrificial lamb for all sin. Even from birth, Jesus had to be perfect because he was the one who would, who would gift his own holiness and righteousness to his people by shedding his blood on the cross. This could not happen unless Jesus perfectly kept both the moral and the ceremonial law of God. If he had never been circumcised, he would have been, had no part in God's covenant with Israel. He could never have been what, he need, what we needed him to be in order to receive that adoption as sons of God. We look at sections of scripture like Luke 2, verses 21 to 24, and think they're tedious details when, Christ, when in fact Christ's entire life was one of details. One where the Father required a certain action, Jesus had to do it. In every place where the Father required a certain attitude, Jesus had to have it. Think of every time uh, during just one day that you faced temptation. Think of every time that you failed in the face of temptation. One little white lie, a brief flash of anger or hatred, one lustful glance. Had our Savior failed in any one of these instances, just one, we would have no salvation. And so the Spirit records for us that Jesus, on the eighth day after his birth, was circumcised. A seemingly insignificant detail that carries the greatest significance for us because it was one of the countless instances where Jesus remained perfect for us. That purpose of his perfection is foreshadowed in his circumcision as well, where we first see God shedding his blood for the lost. This is the first example we have recorded for us in the Gospels of Jesus' passive obedience. The Son of God suffering the consequences of sin. The pain of circumcision would not have existed had Adam and Eve never fallen into sin. Circumcision would never have been commanded if God had not moved, was not moved to save us from our sin by making this covenant with man. Jesus would never have had to come into the world if we hadn't inherited sin from our parents and if we didn't pass it on to our children. But because Adam and Eve did sin, because we do inherit that sin, and because we continue to sin daily, God did send forth his son to be born, to be circumcised, and to feel the pain and sadness, to tire and ache, to bleed and die, all for us. Had this been the first and the last time Jesus had shed his blood for us, we would be condemned to hell. Instead, he kept that perfection intact all the way to the cross and carried out the great exchange. He gave us all that righteousness, all of that perfection, all the holiness of God himself and took upon himself our sin, guilt, and shame and suffered in hell in our place. By his death on the cross, you and I have been made holy and have been set apart ourselves from God's purposes of love and grace. We who have been sinful and unclean have been promised eternal life by the blood of this child, both in his circumcision and in his crucifixion. By his redeeming work, 
carried out successfully every single day of his life, we have been made pure. Mary, after giving birth, had to go through the Old Testament rite of purification. We read in verses 22 to 24, Now in the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. There were two reasons for Mary to visit Jerusalem. She had to offer two turtle doves for her own purification, and she had to give five shekels for the redemption of her son, as was required in Numbers 18, 15 to 16. Everything that first opens the womb of all flesh, which they bring to the Lord, whether man or beast, shall be yours. Nevertheless, the firstborn of man you shall surely redeem, and the firstborn of unclean animals you shall redeem. And those redeemed of the devoted things you shall redeem when one month old, according to your valuation for five shekels of silver, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, which is 20 gerans. So two bir birds to purify your oneself and five shekels to redeem your child. It seems like a pretty good deal, doesn't it? Both of these, but these offerings were merely served a point ahead, served to point ahead to the one who would offer something of much greater value and sacrifice. The one who came to us in Bethlehem as true God and true man would not offer beasts to purify himself, but would offer himself to purify his people. He would pay for our redemption, not with gold or silver, but with his own precious blood and innocent sufferings and death. This is why Christ's circumcision is so crucial. Through the fulfilling of the old covenant, he was actively bringing us a new covenant. God no longer would require perfect holiness from, him, from us, but instead would gift us the holy perfection of his son so that we might be united with it into death and raised again by his justification. When we were baptized into his name, we became partakers of this new covenant of life and light and peace. Not because of anything that we had done, but because of everything that Christ has done, including his circumcision. Have you ever had to plan a child's birthday party? There's a lot of preparation details that go into it, and it never goes completely according to plan. There might not be enough cake. The pizza might have arrived late. One of the kids threw up on the trampoline. The birthday boy or girl didn't get the one thing that they really wanted. That just, and it, that just wasn't in mom and dad's budget. Birthday parties are just one of many examples that really highlight how chaotic things can get with children. <coughs> but thanks be to God that there was no chaos for this child. Thank God that when it came to Jesus, everything went exactly according to plan, all the way from conception to ascension. 
And we see God's power, love, and care displayed beautifully for us in this small, inconspicuous section of Scripture in Luke chapter 2. A helpful reminder to us that Christ's circumcision was crucial. It was crucial because it shows that God really did become man and was born to be our brother under the law. He crossed every T and dotted every I so that the perfection that we have from him is never in doubt. It was crucial because it reminded us how he was set apart to be our redeemer from all sin and our deliverer from death. It was crucial because it was the first time that God would shed his blood for sinful man, though it would not be the last. I'm not suggesting that if someone were to come to you and ask, where should I start to read in my Bible to learn of Jesus, that you should point to his circumcision. But we, but may we take care not to regard any part of Scripture as small or insignificant. All these words are pure. All of the Scripture is profitable for our instruction in righteousness. In here, we have the blessing to see the Savior of mankind, even in infancy, going about the work of winning our righteousness for us. In a few moments, we'll sing about uh, O blessed day when first was poured the blood of our redeeming Lord. O blessed day when Christ began his saving work for sinful man. And you'll see a lot of the details from our text in our next hymn. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. And our next hymn is hymn 115 in the Lutheran hymnal.